In the midst of a messy life, Jesus is working. He's redeeming. He's leveraging circumstances and situations to bring about his purposes. Not only the details of life, but what's going on inside your heart. Then you start to realize that nothing is by happenstance and everything has meaning. As Pastor Daniel says again and again, life is messy, but Jesus is real. And today, you'll find out what he's doing in the world. You'll also find out what he's doing in you. It doesn't matter who you are or what you've been going through. God is ready for you to make a change, to follow him down the road he's been building right there in front of you. As you listen today, ask the Lord to show you his plans and where you fit in them. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in Revelation chapter 1 as he begins a new message called How Jesus Works. So there's nothing worse than when you have an amazing, amazing experience and then things get dicey real quick. This happened for me last Sunday, actually. We had such a extraordinary day here at Crossroads as we launched the Revelation series and there were baptisms going on in the family room all day and it was just extraordinary just to be a part of it and then as the day was winding down I was out in the family room and I was talking with some folks and at this point the family room was kind of empty there wasn't a lot of people there and then all of a sudden I got the the phone call that you never want as a parent and as a husband which is the I need you right now phone call. So I didn't have my phone on because I don't like to be distracted during church and I want to be able to focus on who's in front of me and not everything that's going on in the world. So actually when my bride Lynn was trying to get in touch with me and she ended up uh, reaching out to one of our safety team people and just said, hey, I need Daniel right now. And so I called my bride when I see this text and, and she says, Daniel, I'm heading to the skate park and an ambulance is heading to the skate park because Obadiah fell and something broke. And so, you know how far away are you? I'm like, well, I'm leaving the church right now. I'll be right there. And, and so I, I started driving. And as Lynn and I are talking, I love my bride so much. And I, and I remember saying to her, I said, you know, Lynn, I said, don't worry. You know, I'm made for this. That's what I said to her. I don't know why I said that, but, you know, but it made sense in the moment, you know, and, you know, we have, you know, so we have my, this is about my oldest Obadiah. And then we have two other kids at home too. And so it's like, you know, when you have three kids and there's two parents, it can be a little dicey when something like this goes on. And, and I remember that, like I hung up, I'll be right there. And, and I remember after I stopped, I, I thought about what I said and I said, and then I realized, and it was beautiful because I realized that I could say that I'm made for this and I'm strong enough for this because I actually know Jesus and Jesus is definitely strong enough for this. And it was such like a powerful reminder to me, you know, because they end up getting to the skate park and, you know, and I see and they got my son Obadiah on the gurney and, and you know, the ambulance is there and they got him, uh, you know, kind of all uh, done up. And, and I say, hey, what do you guys think? And they're like, oh, man, he he mangled his ankle, his leg. That's what he said. He mangled it. And so, you know, he's there and Lynn's there. And and I remember at that moment just thinking, OK, Lord, what are you going to do right now? 
Like, what's your plan in all this? And I was reminded that you and I have to always remember that you need to train before the race. And I say that because I believe that there are many of you right now that you're pressing into your walk with Jesus because everything is pretty busted up right now. And I'm going to tell you, there's no better place to press in. If life's all mangled right now, you need Jesus. And that's one of the reasons it's so common when people get to the end of themselves, they get to the end of their resources, then they go, I need Jesus, because you do, because you can't handle it. Life's too crazy. But there's a number of us also who you are going through a great time. And now when things are going well, is not the time to take your foot off the gas and coast. Now is the time to press in because you got to train before the races of life. And I realize that as I'm heading and I'm there and there's ambulances there and I know we're going to the hospital and, you know, what's going to come forward? I am aware that I am so grateful for God's grace in my life that, like, I already know Jesus is going to do something. I already know I don't like what's happening, but I know the Lord who can redeem even the worst things. And to be honest with you, I was so blown away by the presence of Jesus because All these verses that I've memorized, that I've lived out, that I've sought to live out, are running through my head. All things work together for good. You know, and it was amazing because, you know, what ended up happening was Obadiah actually, you know, and pray for him. He's getting surgery this week. He's got to get his whole ankle, you know, reconstructed. He broke his leg and his ankle and nasty fracture. I mean, we're in the, the ER and literally like he's got one shoe on because of his good leg and he's got one shoe off. And that RN is like, are you wearing your dad's shoes? Which is funny because Obadiah's feet are bigger than mine. But, you know, because literally like his foot was so f- dislocated that it looked like his, he had two different size feet. It was horrible. It is horrible, you know. But what's amazing is, is God's peace was so present in all of it because I knew that we weren't alone. And I knew that God was going to do a work. And, and what was amazing, what a testimony of the people of God because when I get to the ambulance, the ambulance driver's like, it's so good to meet you, Pastor Daniel. He's like, I hate meeting you like this. He's like, but man, we just, you know, love God. He's like, I work, so I watch your videos online. And so, and he's like, man, but we're going to take care of Obadiah. Like, like, he's good. Like, I'm good at this. I'm like, right on, you know? And then we get to the ER and we get out of the ambulance. And sure enough, the guy working security is like, Pastor Daniel, it's so good to meet you. And I'm just like, I'm so sorry to meet you like this, but I watch all your videos. I work every Sunday, but we, you know, we watch your videos and we talk about Crossroads and, and what God's doing there. And so, man, we're so sorry what's going on. They're going to take good care of you here. And, and literally, like, all along the way, God has, like, hand-placed his kids who are all a part of this process, you know, and great nurses and great doctors and, and all this stuff. But I'm so aware of the fact that without Jesus... You're at the mercy of however it all rolls. And what a a distraught way to move through life. And I don't knock it because I didn't always walk with Jesus. But like walking with Jesus, I'm just so aware that when you walk with Jesus, life is messy and Jesus is real. I've said it a million times in this pulpit. But here's the deal. If all you do is get focused on the fact that life is messy, it is so disheartening. Life is brutal. But when you realize that in the midst of a messy life, Jesus is working, he's redeeming, he's leveraging circumstances and situations to bring about his purposes. Not only the details of life, but what's going on inside your heart. 
then you start to realize that nothing is by happenstance and everything has meaning to it if you're willing. And I'll be honest, this week I've gotten a crash course once again in are you willing to let Jesus do what he wants to do in your life? Because, you know, like the broken leg and the broken ankle, that's one thing. But then how do you get his pain under control? And hey, he's up every night. So when you're a parent and one of your kids is up every night, what does that mean? You're up every night, you know? And I don't know about you all. Some of you are like, are super good on no sleep. I get really, really challenging when I don't get a lot of sleep. Like, I can just be real surly. Like, I'm just tired, and you know? And, you know, because I'm tired, I drink extra caffeine. And the last thing Fusco needs is extra caffeine, you know? And so, and I'm, and I'm learning, you know? I'm learning once again, Lord, will you do the work you want to do in my life? And I bring this up because we're studying the book of Revelation together. And what we see in the book of Revelation and what we're going to see today is that God often uses unwelcome circumstances to bring about his purposes. What we're going to find today is that the apostle John didn't receive this amazing vision while he was sitting back in a reclining chair, flipping through 800,000 channels to pacify himself from his boredom. But he was an elderly man who was exiled to a mining colony And in the midst of that, God reveals himself to him in a very powerful way. And I hope that as we study this together, you will be encouraged to view your circumstances differently. To view what you're experiencing differently, knowing that God meets us in the midst of all this. So open your Bibles to the book of Revelation chapter 1. We're going to take verses 4 to 11 today. Revelation 1 verses 4 to 11. So if you brought a Bible with you, you just turn it to the end and then go back and Revelation is the last book. If you're like, hey, I don't like reading, holding books, but I love my phone and we know that you do. Pull out your phone and go to your favorite browser window, type in Revelation 1 verses 4 to 11. And I always ask you to read along because we live in a world, everyone's entitled to their opinion. I have my opinion, you have your opinion, everyone's got their opinions. But really, I'm not just up here sharing my opinions. I just want to teach you what God's word says. Does that make sense? And at best, a pastor reads what the word says and says, hey, this is how we explain this. This is what this means for us. And so I don't want to give you a whole bunch of my own opinion. I want, I want you to really get this is what God's word said. I want you to see it for yourself. Now, we did start the series. I talked to a number of people, and I'm so excited. So many people are like, hey, I got, I got me a new journal, or I'm taking notes on it. And I talked to a couple of people like, man, I listened to that message four times last week, you know, because you talked about all these different things. I wanted to make sure I got it right. And so if you didn't hear last week's message, I would love for you to, to check it out on our archives, because we did cover not a lot of scriptural, not a lot of text in Revelation 1, but we did cover a lot of ground and a lot of foundational things. So Revelation chapter 1, we're going to pick up in verse 4 and we're going to jump on in together. It says, John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. And all the people said, 
Amen. Okay, so John is the human author, and he's writing this letter to these seven churches which are in Asia. And the seven churches we're going to see in Revelation 2 and 3. And we're going to study each letter. Jesus has a letter to each one of the churches, talking about this idea of grace and peace. And really, in this text, this grace and this peace is coming to not only these seven churches, but to the church as a whole, historically, and to us today, from the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We see in these verses that John is saying that grace and peace comes from the totality, the one God who reveals himself to humanity as Father, Son, and Spirit. And we see right here, the Father, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come. So really what this speaks of is the Father, he is, he's in our present, he was, he's in our past, and he is to come, he's in our future. So God spans the totality of your life experience and everyone's life experience. God holds the past, the present, and the future in his hands, and that's a beautiful thing, isn't it? Because for many of us, we can't, we struggle with our past, but if we believe in God, we can trust God with our past, because he was. Some of us have so much fear about the present, but he is now, and many of us struggle with what's going to happen in the future, but he's the one who is to come as well. And one of the great comforts of believing in the creator, sustainer God as revealed in the Bible, of course, is that God is past, present, and future all at the same time. And I love this because everybody wants to be seen and known. That's like a universal human desire. And that's a beautiful thing. And oftentimes, life can be so heartbreaking because we don't feel seen and known. But here's what I want to tell you. You are seen and known better than anybody could ever know you because God is the God of the past, present, and future. You might feel alone, but I'm here to tell you, my friend, you are never alone because God is with you. And God, God knows every detail about your entire experience. He even knows it more intimately than you know it. He is the God who is and who was and who is to come. But not only do we see God the Father here, we also see God the Holy Spirit here, because notice what it says next. And from the seven spirits or who are before his throne. Now, this gets really complicated because people say, well, who are the seven spirits? And I'm going to tell you. Actually, the answer is, I don't exactly know how to interpret this. I'll give you the four main interpretations of this. So first, the seven spirits, oftentimes when in the writing, the apocalyptic writing around the time of Jesus, the seven spirits were a common phrase, and they always related it to Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2. So write that text down. I'll read it to you. It speaks about the sevenfold ministry of the Holy Spirit, where it says, the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. So it's the spirit of the Lord, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might the spirit of knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. See that? So there's these seven aspects to the ministry of the Holy Spirit from Isaiah 11, 2. So a lot of people say, oh, that's the seven spirits. It's really the Holy Spirit in his sevenfold uh, ministry. Some people say, well, no, 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 it's not that. It's actually the Holy Spirit. The seven spirits before the throne are the seven graces or charismas of Romans chapter 12, verses 6 to 8. If you write that down, you can search it down. There are these seven ministries of the Spirit. Prophecy, ministry, teaching, exhortation, giving, leading, and mercy. So you say, no, that's what that means. If that's not complicated enough, other commentators say, no, no, no. There are actually seven 
unique, actual spiritual beings before the throne of God. And they get that from the intertestamental, what we call the apocryphal book of First Enoch, which was also an apocalyptic book where he names seven angels which are before God's throne. And of those seven angels, angels like Michael and Gabriel are in that list. And then some people say, no, 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 it's not any of that. The number seven in the Bible is the number of what? Perfection or completion. And so the idea of the seven spirits, it's the perfection of the Holy Spirit before the throne. So those are four. See, that's why people are taking notes. I'm like, it's kind of. Now, here's the question. Which one is it? And you know what the answer is? I don't know. So if you have one that seems good to you, then you can drive it. But what I want to encourage you to do is we know that it's the Father, Son, and Spirit. But in what aspect it's being discussed right now, I don't really know what the actual, like, this is the answer. Now, I know some people will get frustrated at that. And you'll get frustrated all through this series with that. Because I'm going to keep coming back to it when I don't really know. If I don't feel like, man, this has to be this one for these five reasons. I'm going to say this is the kind of the playing field. And we'll leave it at that. Does that make sense? And I think it's the safest way to teach the book of Revelation because one of my biggest struggles with the way I've heard it taught, read lots of commentaries, lots of, is that they, everybody wants to give you certainty. But I don't think the Bible is designed to give you certainty. The Bible is designed to give you faith in the Lord, which means I trust what I can't understand. So having every detail actually doesn't help us, especially if the details aren't true. <laughs> Does that make sense? So having certainty in falsehood is still a problem. Does that make sense? So I want us to have a, a deeper understanding of what these things are. So notice you have the Father and you have, this, and you have the Spirit. But really, the grace and the peace, John really drills down on God the Son, Jesus. And really what this is meant to teach us is both who Jesus is and what he does. And we get in verses 5 and 6 who Jesus is and what he does. And in these short verses, John gives us literally like a course in what theologians call Christology or the study of Jesus as the Christ. Now, notice it says, and from Jesus Christ. Now, it is important to remind everybody that Christ is not Jesus's last name the way Fusco is Daniel's last name. Christ is a title. It literally speaks of Jesus as the Savior or the Messiah. And for within the context of Scripture, the coming of the Messiah was the most important thing in all of Scripture. It goes all the way back to the creation account in the book of Genesis. Really, we get the first, the proto-euangelion, the first telling of the good news, scholars would say, is in Genesis chapter 3. When God speaks to the serpent and reminds the serpent that the seed of the woman will crush the seed of the serpent. So all the way back in the creation account, there is this telling of the coming of the Messiah. And all the way through the Old Testament, there are all of these prophecies, all of these pointing to the Messiah. And when they call him Jesus Christ, they're saying Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the promised Savior. And then John begins to just kind of shoot bullets out of his gun, so to speak, of who Jesus is. And each one of these attributes are so important for us. Notice first... It says, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness. So Jesus is the faithful witness. Now, the word witness in the Greek language, we get our word martyr from. So you think about the word for martyr, you think of somebody who's given up their life for what they believe. And that is what a martyr is. But a witness is somebody who 
testifies of what they've seen and what they know. If you think about it, a witness in a court of law, I'll call the next witness. They tell, this is what I have seen. And Jesus is a witness of who God is. And John doesn't call him just a witness because people can lie under oath, commit perjury. Jesus is a faithful witness. And what that means is that Jesus faithfully brings out into the open who God is. Now, isn't that an important reality? See, this is why for thousands of years, people have followed Jesus because Jesus is saying, this is who God is. Let me show you who God is in the way that I live my life, my own personal witness. And I'm so grateful for the witness of Jesus. And because of our faith in Jesus, Jesus wants to do the same thing in you and I. He wants to make us faithful witnesses of who God is. So now this speaks about your testimony, your life, what you believe and how you carry that belief through the world. I believe that one of the things that God wants to do in not only in this year of revelation, but in us growing in Christ is he actually wants us to care more about our witness to the world of who Jesus is than any other agenda. Is your life a faithful witness of Jesus? Now, I say that knowing full well that for all of us, we're like, ooh. But part of growing in our faith is closing the gap between what we say we believe and who we are. I like to remind people that our lives are the only Bible that a lot of people will read. They'll read your life, the epistle of your life, before they read the scriptures. Because it's more convenient to read your life And when you don't believe in Jesus, you don't have a desire to read the scriptures. So they look at believers. And for us, we want to be the kind of people who just like our Lord and Savior Jesus, our lives are faithful witnesses. We do a faithful job of displaying the person of Jesus into the world. He's a faithful witness. Now, what's beautiful, not only is Jesus the faithful witness, notice next, he's the firstborn from the dead. Now that's powerful because really what John is saying here is that Jesus is the beginning of the resurrection. That up until the point of Jesus, people died, but Jesus is the first one who died and then conquered death because he never did anything that could, that death could hold him. And so Jesus is the beginning, the firstborn. He's the first fruits of the resurrection. See, everything for humanity changed on Resurrection Sunday when Jesus left that grave. Because not only did Jesus experience resurrection, but he said that I am the resurrection and the life, and he who believes in me, though he may die, he will live again. Jesus is the beginning of the resurrected reality that is the inheritance of the people of God. Now, I don't want you to miss this for one second. Resurrection is not only what happens to the believer after they die. God gives us the gift of resurrection on this side of eternity as well. Jesus is real. Today's message from Pastor Daniel continued to introduce you to the book of Revelation. Will you understand everything you read in this book? Absolutely not. Pastor Daniel doesn't know what every reference and image means. No one does. There's plenty of speculation, though, and Pastor Daniel plans to continue giving you biblically sound opinions from which you can learn. The bottom line you learn today is this. Pray for understanding from the Lord. 
and remember to trust him even when you don't understand. Hey everyone, there's a lot happening in the world and it can keep you pretty busy. But I want to encourage you to take some time and devote it to your spiritual growth. I know God wants to do something in your life and I'm excited for you to discover exactly what that is. Come join me for a worship service at Crossroads Community Church Online so I can share the Bible with you. Join me online at crossroadschurch.net or find me on Facebook Live. We're so glad we can be a part of your life through the ministry of Jesus' Real Radio. Would you like to be a part of what we're doing? We would like to ask that you prayerfully consider becoming a financial partner of this program. Your contribution, no matter the size, will be used to reach people with the gospel message. Find out more at JesusIsRealRadio.com. Thank you for partnering with us. Make sure to tune in again as Pastor Daniel will share that once you reach heaven, you'll know fully the resurrection power of Jesus. But today, right now, you can live freely in that same power. Jesus has already conquered death, so why be afraid of it? You can live for him fully here on earth, experiencing all he has for you each day. There's more to come from Pastor Daniel's series, The Revelation of Jesus Christ. Please glance at the clock right now. Make plans to join us again for another edition of Jesus is Real Radio.